Hello there. David spreads the joy once more. Now then, I was going to read you some of my own little missives, but as before, I've been sidetracked because I've been back to the library up at Chipping Barnet. It sounds Northern, but it's not. It's just North London. So, Ebergum. And um, I've come back with T.S. Eliot's Selected Poems, which is... Uh, he actually selected himself. And this was published in... If you folks want to know this kind of stuff... Uh, oh, hang on. It's the 80th anniversary collection. Wow. Well, it's published by Faber Faber, Faber and Faber, which is the home of uh, Plath and all sorts. Uh, when was it? What's the copyright here? Ah, T.S. Eliot, 1954. So this first came out in 1954. Now, I love T.S. Eliot, so you're probably going to be aware that I'm not going to read you the love song of J. Alfred Prefrock. Because it starts off in, I'm presuming, either, I'm going to presume it's either Italian or possibly Latin. I think it's Italian. And my Italian is no molto bene. <laughs> cazzo, cazzo bene. It's very bad. So I'm, I'm not going to read that poem, although it's his most famous one. What I will read you is Portrait of a Lady. Kisses. I like it very much. And it's more, uh, it's more my speed. So there you go. <clears throat> Portrait of a Lady by T.S. Eliot. <clears throat> Thou hast committed fornication, but that was in another country. And besides, the wench is dead. The Jew of Malta. One. Among the smoke and fog of a December afternoon, you have the scene arrange itself, as it will seem to do, with, I have saved this afternoon for you. And four wax candles in the darkened room, four rings of light upon the ceiling overhead, an atmosphere of Juliet's tomb, prepared for all the things to be said, or left unsaid. We have been, let us say, to hear the latest poll, transmit the preludes through his hair and fingertips, so intimate this Chopin that I think his soul should be resurrected only amongst friends, some two or three who will not touch the bloom that is rubbed and questioned in the concert room. And so the conversation slips among velities and carefully caught regrets through attenuated tones of violins mingled with remote cornets and begins. You do not know how much they mean to me, my friends, and how, how rare and strange it is to find in a life composed so much so much of odds and ends, for indeed I do not love it, you knew. You are not blind. How keen you are. To find a friend who has these qualities, who has and gives these qualities, upon which friendship lives, 
How much it means that I say this to you. Without these friendships, life, or cashamar. Among the windings of the violins and the aratits, of crackhead or cracked cornets, inside my brain a dull tom-tom begins, absurdly hammering a prelude of its own, capricious monotone, that is at least one definite false note. Let us take the air in a tobacco trance, admire the monuments, discuss the late events, correct our watches by the public clocks, then sit for half an hour and drink our books, or even bops. Now that lilacs are in bloom, this is chapter two, by the way. <laughs> Pardon me. Two. Now that lilacs are in bloom, she has a bowl of lilacs in her room and twists one in her fingers while she talks. Ah, my friend, you do not know, you do not know what life is, you who hold it in your hands, slowly twisting the lilac stalks. You let it flow from you, you let it flow, and youth is cruel and has no remorse and smiles at situations which he cannot see or alter course. I smile, of course, and go on drinking tea. Yet with these April sunsets that somehow recall my buried life and Paris in the spring, I feel immeasurably at peace and find the world to be wonderful and youthful after all. The voice returns like the insistent out-of-tune of a broken violin on an August afternoon. I am always sure that you understand my feelings, always sure that you feel, sure that across the gulf you reach your hand. You are invulnerable. You have no Achilles heel. You will go on, and when you have prevailed, you can say, at this point, Many a one has failed, but what have I, but what have I, but what have I, my friend, to give you? What can you receive from me? Only the friendship and the sympathy of one about to reach her journey's end. I shall sit here serving tea to friends. I take my hat. How can I make a cowardly amends? for what she has said to me. You will see me any morning in the park, reading the comics and the sporting page. Particularly, I remark, an English countess goes upon the stage, a Greek was murdered at a Polish dance, another bank defaulter has confessed. I keep my countenance. I remain self-possessed. Except... When a street piano, mechanical and tired, reiterates some worn-out common song with the smell of hyacinths across the garden, recalling things that others people that other people have desired, are these ideas right or wrong? The October night comes down, returning as before, 
except for a slight sensation of being ill at ease, I mount the stairs and turn the handle of the door, and feel as if I have mounted on my hands and knees. And so you are going abroad, and when do you return? But that's a useless question. You hardly know when you are coming back. You will find so much to learn. My smile falls heavily among the bric-a-brac. Perhaps you can write to me. My self-possession flares up for a second. This is as I had reckoned. I have been wandering frequently of late, but our beginnings never know our ends. Why we have not developed into friends, I feel like one who smiles, and turning shall remark suddenly his expression in a glass. My self-possession gutters, we are really in the dark. For everybody said so, all our friends, they, are, they all were sure our feelings would relate so closely, I myself could hardly understand we must leave it now to fate. You will write at any rate. Perhaps it is not too late. I shall sit here serving tea to friends. And I must borrow every change in shape to find expression. Dance, dance, dance like a dancing bear. Cry like a parrot, chatter like an ape. Let us take the air in a tobacco trance. Well, and what if she should die some afternoon, afternoon grey and smoky, evening yellow and rose, should die and leave me sitting pending, pen in hand, with the smoke coming down above the housetops, doubtful for a while, not knowing what to feel, or if I understand, or whether wise or foolish, tardy or too soon, would she not have the advantage after all? This music is successful, with a dying fall. Now that we talk of dying, and should I have the right to smile? <sighs> well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't remember Paris like that at all. I remember tripping my ass off <laughs> just outside the Garden Orb with a blotter from Amsterdam <laughs> and everything melting. <laughs> ah, good old 1982. <laughs> being in a foreign land with Thatcher as my Prime Minister and explaining to people I'm not really British <laughs> please give me a lift to the next station or town or passing cafe I beg of you and luckily they did so there you go, lots of adventures but that's uh, another story ok, I'm going to have a sip of tea and have a think about what else I can read to you. <coughs> Starting to get down. There you go. All right then. Oh, what have I done with um, 
I'll get distracted. <laughs> uh, and we're going to go back to uh, T.S. Eliot. <clears throat> now, some of these I know, some of these I don't. So maybe I should read you one I don't know. So let's have a look. Okay. Okay. I'll try this one. Sweeney Erect. What is that Sweeney Todd? Is that? Anyway, I'll read it to you and see what happens. <coughs> Sweeney Erect. And the trees, uh, this first bit is in italics, so I'll let you know when the italics stop. And the trees about me, let them be dry and leafless. Let the rocks groan with continuous surges. And behind me, make all a desolation. Look, look, wenches, italics, that's italics. Paint me a cavernous waste shore, cast in an unstilled silades. Paint me the bold and fresh, oh, blimey. Paint me the bold and fractious rocks, which I... Anfractuous, come on. What the fuck is anfractuous? Excuse me a moment. Anfractuous, meaning. Here's the definition of anfractuous. Rare. Sinuous or circuitous. Sinuous. Hmm, okay. Sinuous or circuitous. So let me... Paint me the board on fractious rocks. Sinuous or circuitous. Ah, so like, what, it, it hugs the shoreline? I'm going to start again, because I, I, there are words here I don't know, so, you know. Sweeney erect. And the trees about me, let them be dry and leafless. Let the rocks groan with continual surges. And behind me, make all a desolation. Look, look, wenches. <clears throat> Paint me a cavernous way shore. Cast in the unstilled sillilades. Paint me the bold and fractious rocks. Faced by the snarled and the elping seas. Display me Aeolus above, reviewing the insurgent gales, which tangle ad, arid, arid, aridness hair, and swell with haste the, protru, the protruded sails. Oh, I'm really struggling here. Oh, I'm so tired. And swell with haste the produced, perjured, perjured. P-E-R-G-U-R-E-D, perjured, perjured, sales, perjured, perjured, meaning 
Here's the definition of pejorative, expressing contempt or disapproval. Hmm, that's not, that's not quite the same thing, is it? Let me uh, spell it out. If I spell it out, it might work. P-E-R-J-U-R-E-T. Pejured. Of evidence involving willfully told untruths. Oh, characterised by perjury. Perjure, perjury. Perjured. Perjured. So, okay. Perjured. Sales. And swell with haste the perjured sales. But that doesn't make sense. Swell with haste the perjured sales. <sighs> this, I'm struggling with this poem. <laughs> All right, here we go then. <laughs> uh, paint me a cavernous face, sure. Cast in the unstilled silhouettes. Paint me the bold and fractious rocks faced by the snarled in the upland seas. Display me Aeolus above, reviewing the insurgent gales, which tangle Adonai's hair and swell with haste the perjured sails. <sighs> Morning stirs the feet and hands, Norsiaca and Polyphene. Gesture of orangutan rises from the sheets in steam. This withered root of knots of hair, slitted below and gashed with eyes, this overlow cropped out with teeth, the sickle motion from the thighs. Jack knives upward at the knees, then straightens out from heel to hip, pushing the framework of the bed and crawling at the pillow slip. Sweeney, addressed full length to shave, broad-bottomed, pink from nape to base, knows the female temperament and wipes the suds around his face. Brackets. The length and shadow of a man is history, said Emerson, who had not seen the silhouette of Sweeney straddled in the sun. And brackets. Tests the razor on his leg, waiting until the shriek subsides. The epileptic on the bed curves backward, clutching at her sides. Oh dear. The ladies of the corridor find themselves involved, disgraced, call witness to their principles and depreciate the lack of taste. Observing that hysteria... Hysteria might easily be misunderstood. Mrs. Turner intimates it does the house no sort of good. But Doris, toweled from the bath, enters padding on broad feet, bringing sal volatile and a glass of brandy neat. Well, that was a real struggle. <laughs> Oh, I struggled with that. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Never mind. I'll read you one more, and then I'm going to knock on the head. Cause the thing with T.S. Eliot is, unless you know his poems and you, you study them beforehand, if you're reading stuff you've, you haven't gone over before, also, in, 
I will say in my defence, when you listen back to this, is that I have a vocal uh, dyslectic uh, 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 thing that I can't quite... I I read things the wrong way around sometimes, so uh, which you've probably noticed if you've heard any of my other stuff on this podcast. So here we go then, uh, A Cooking Egg. This is a smaller poem, it's just, a, oh, I don't know, about eight verses, seven, eight verses. <clears throat> oh, it's okay. In the ten, 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 the morning, to home. Pippet state, Pippet state upright in her chair, sat. Oh, okay. This is old English. For some reason, he's writing in old English, which he has done from time to time, I suppose. And Canterbury and all that. Pippet sat, uh, sat, sat. Pippet, Pippet sat upright in her chair, some distance from where I was sitting. Views of Oxford colleges lay on the table with the knitting. Diagonotypes and silhouettes, her grandfather and great-great-aunts, supported on the mantelpiece, an invitation to the dance. I shall not want honour in heaven, for I shall meet Sir Philip Sidney, and have talked with Corollinus, and other heroes of that kidney. I shall not want capital in heaven, for I shall meet Sir Alfred Mond. We too shall lie together lapped in a five percent exchequer bond. I shall not want society in heaven, Lucretia Borgia shall be my bride. Name your poison, boys. <laughs> Her antidotes will be more amusing than Pippet's experience could provide. I shall not want Pippet in heaven. Madame Blakowski will instruct me in the seven sacred trances. Picarda di Donati will conduct me. But where is the penny world I bought to eat with Pippet behind the screen? The red-eyed scavengers are creeping from Kentish Town and Golders Green. Where are the eagles and the trumpets? Buried beneath some snow-deep alps over buttered scones and crumpets, weeping, weeping multitudes Droop in a hundred ABCs. On that note, I shall say adieu. Stuff like that. Ta-ta.